My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. A cold-blooded killing rocks a small Texas town. She found him face down. She began to say, what's going on? What's the matter? We have a CPR progress, GSW-33. I could see that he had a wound to his chest. He was probably dead before he left the scene. When officers arrive, they are in for more than they could have known. They put her at gunpoint, and she just looked extremely confused and frightened. She had everything to lose. Why would she kill this man? Detectives took the time to chase down every rumor, talk to every person. To solve a vicious crime, investigators must sift through lies in search of the truth. She saw you first, and then she heard the gunshot second, and that's critical. There ain't, there ain't no way. You have to wonder why his cell phone pinged there, and then soon after the crime, he is immediately hours away. If you don't do it, somebody else will. Mahia's just a little small community. Everybody knows everybody, sometimes by first name. But when this case came up, it makes you wonder, do you really know everybody? March 31st, 2011. Just after 7 a.m., operators in Mahia, Texas, get a frantic 911 call. 911, that's your emergency. I don't get back. Somebody shot you. It's God, baby. It's God, baby. It's Ray. It's Ray. Oh, my God, Ray. She sounded very out of breath, panicked and upset. It was very fuzzy, but it was clear that she was saying that somebody had been shot. 
With limited information, police are dispatched to the potential shooting at a local scrapyard. One white male down middle age. Still trying to obtain identity information. Staff clear to be advised they're en route. Police learned from the caller that the victim is 56-year-old Ray Jacoby, the owner of the scrapyard. As the uh, police officers pull up on scene, you're able to see a woman standing by the gate with her hand up on the gate, and it appears that she's on a phone. And Ray is laying next to her on the ground face down. We roll him over, start assessing him. That's whenever I could see that he had a wound to his chest. As paramedics work to save Ray's life, police are anxious to secure the scene. I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there was a police officer knelt down one knee on the ground with his pistol drawn, pointing it toward the back of the scrapyard. I said, what are you doing? And he said, we think the shooter's back here. And I was like, oh, crap, let's get this guy and go. So at that moment, we basically just scooped the guy up onto a backboard, threw him on a stretcher in the ambulance, and we cleared the scene. Could y'all contact uh, the hospital for us? Tell them we have a CPR in progress, GSW through and through. With Ray on his way to the hospital and the potential of an active shooter, backup arrives to help clear the vast scrapyard property. Among them is Sergeant Rodney Irvin, who recognizes the 911 caller as 54-year-old Mary Jacoby, the victim's ex-wife and business partner. I knew Mary and Raymond from dealing with them personally, just from being a customer and due to some criminal investigations that led me to their business. It was just tragic. You really don't know what's going on in their life. Ray Jacoby's scrapyard business was built on a lifelong interest in mechanics and his own personal charm. He was born April 30th, uh, 1954. He was very well-liked and light-hearted, laid-back. Dad loved working on cars and any and all equipment. He could make just a pile of junk run. Raymond, from a pretty early age, was around cars. This was something that defined who he was. It wasn't just his chosen career when he eventually opened a salvage yard. This was his passion throughout his entire life. Ray started racing on dirt tracks when he was just a teenager. After a short marriage right out of high school, Ray fell in love again with a woman named Diane Petty. He met my mom at the r, r Saloon. That was a place to stop and have breakfast. Mom was the waitress there. Mom always said Dad was handsome, and he was nice and happy. Diane and Ray married in the mid-'70s, and their son, Ron, was born in 1977. Though Ray tried to commit to domestic life, his first love was always the track. Mom thought that he was pumping a little too much attention and time into the race car. Dad begged her to not leave. He really loved her. He did not want Mom to leave. I've heard that from Mom. And, uh, you know, irreconcilable differences, and they divorced. After the divorce, Ray was a fixture around California's 80s dirt track scene, which is where he met Mary Green. Mary was a trophy girl. Back in the day, the gals would hand the trophy to the guys after they won the trophy dash or the main event. 
Mary was a single mother, so her priority, of course, was her young son, Chapin, and she would do a lot of different jobs that are what she described as man's work. She didn't have any fear of getting her hands dirty. She was a little bit of the hippie, and dad was a little bit more, uh, I'll have a whiskey, and that's good enough for me. Ray found something that he was wildly attracted to in Mary. They began to date for a number of years and then finally tied the knot in 1983. Newly married, Ray and Mary moved to Trout Creek, Montana to start their new life. Dad told me that Montana was the cheapest place to live. The goal was to go there and build Tusker Speedway, a dirt track. Those were pretty good years with Mary. We were all pretty happy. But as Mary and Ray ran the racetrack together, they soon realized that maintaining romance and a business partnership wasn't in the cards for them. There was certainly some complaining about money from Mary's side. Dad used a lot of her inheritance money for part of the track. He was probably a little too giving and a little too easygoing, wanting everybody to have a good time. So when the track was done, it was free beer for all, and it shouldn't have been. After decades of fighting, the couple divorced in 2003. And that's when Ray had his most lucrative idea yet, to open a salvage yard in Central Texas. He had actually asked Mary to come help him run the scrapyard. So at that point, their relationship kind of becomes more of a business relationship. He still cared about Mary. Even though they were divorced, he didn't want to see her fail. He didn't want to see her starve. So he employed her. Raymond set up a warehouse that he bought and remodeled and made into a living quarters approximately one block away from Scrapyard for Mary to reside in. The unconventional relationship seemed to work, but 55-year-old Ray still longed for a romance that would last. Somewhere in 2008, Ray decided that he wanted to try to find a wife, maybe a kinder, softer, gentler person. That's about the time where he started going to the Philippines, trying to find a companion to spend the rest of his life with. Ray legitimately was looking for somebody who he had chemistry with. Ray found what he was looking for when a friend introduced him to 30-year-old Atina Cagadas, a single mom living in Manila. They began writing letters back and forth and communicating, and that was something that Ray was big on, was if somebody will sit down and write you a letter, then you know that you mean something to them. They started having phone calls and hit it off pretty well. On May 3rd of 2009, he went to the Philippines and spent two weeks over there. I know that that was second or third pen pal girlfriend he met over there but the first one that he felt really good about. He thought, this is the gal for me. He had proposed to her, and she thought he was kidding. And he said, no, I'm serious. I will petition for you to move to the United States and marry me if you want to do that. And so she told him that she would do it. Ray applied for a fiance visa and arranged for Atina and her young daughter to move into his home in Central Texas. That's the first father that her daughter had ever known, anything like a father figure. And they really hit it off really well. And Atina was really happy that he was willing to embrace her daughter that way. I think that really sealed the deal for her. 
Atina and 10-year-old Charmaine finally arrived in Texas in January of 2011. I know dad was eager to train Atina to run the office of the yard for him. He was going to teach her everything she needed to know. They had 90 days to get married, uh, or her visa would expire. So they planned to get married on April 4th. That was going to be her 31st birthday. But just five days before the wedding, an unthinkable act could potentially destroy the joyous occasion. On March 31st, 2011, local law enforcement is at Ray's scrapyard, where he was shot by an unidentified assailant. Mr. Jacoby had already been transported to the local hospital. The patrol officers were still treated in the scene as if uh, there was still an active shooter present. There's a crime scene here. We're not going to go through there until I get some more firepower in here. OK. Coming up. Had the nature of Ray's business made him a target? Unfortunately, the people that came and scrapped there weren't the greatest of people. They kept a large amount of cash inside that business to be able to pay people ten dollars to $15,000 a day. And tensions rise as officers face the possibility of an active shooter. As they came in, they were really at a disadvantage from a tactical standpoint. That made the scene very dangerous for those initially responding officers. Law enforcement officers in Mahia, Texas, have surrounded a local scrapyard where its owner, Ray Jacoby, was found shot near the front gate. With Ray en route to the hospital, detectives turned to the 911 caller, Mary Jacoby, a familiar face to police. A lot of theft investigations that we did have led us to the scrapyard. I went over there looking for uh, stolen pieces of merchandise they were cooperative in telling me who had brought it in there. So I was familiar with Mary Jacoby, so I went over and asked her what had happened. She had called Ray, I believe, around 6.50 in the morning and said that she was coming around to the scrapyard. Uh, Ray was eating breakfast, and uh, he said he'd open the gate when he was done. She said that after she spoke with Ray, about 10 to 15 minutes later, she had gone to the salvage yard. She said when she got there, she pulled up in front of the scrapyard, and she noticed that the entrance gate to the scrapyard was slightly open. She walked over. She found him face down. She began to say, Ray, Ray, what's going on? What's the matter? He had made a noise that she described continually as kind of like, uh, uh, or like a, like a coughing sound and that she didn't know what had happened to him at first, but that she then went to try to roll him over and couldn't. She sees the bullet hole, then goes back to her car, gets her phone, calls 911. Though Mary can't think of why anyone would want to harm Ray, investigators have begun speculating. The first thing that pops into your mind, this guy has a scrapyard. Hear uh, rumors about this guy that he's got money. The salvage yard being a cash business, obviously, they kept a large amount of cash inside that business to be able to pay people ten dollars to $15,000 a day that they would pay out. Unfortunately, some of the people that came and scrapped there weren't the greatest of people. Knowing that there was a large amount of money at that location from time to time, it was a concern that it could have been a robbery. 
But before investigators can confirm, they need to clear the scene. An active shooter or shooters could be hiding anywhere. And Mary says Ray's fiance, Atina, and her young daughter are somewhere on the property as well. They were trying to secure the scene as best they could. Um, that was challenging. As they came in, they were really at a disadvantage from a tactical standpoint. Lying down that street was just a whole bunch of junk, for lack of a better term, that, quite frankly, made the scene very dangerous for those initially responding officers. They certainly had their work cut out for them, clearing the inside of the salvage yard and securing the scene. They set up a perimeter. They kind of went through looking for people. When they were doing that, they found a lady by the name of Kayla Went. The 21-year-old identifies herself as the girlfriend of Mary's son, Chapin. Chapin was in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice serving some time. Mary and Raymond let Kayla stay on the uh, property. Kayla was living in a travel trailer on the property. She said that she was asleep. I guess she just slept hard enough that she didn't hear the gunshot. Kayla is placed in a patrol car while police continue clearing the scene. Inside the building that houses both Ray's office and residence, they find a woman doing housework. She had a broom in her hand, and when they came in and they saw her, you know, they were hollering to, to put her hands up. The woman identifies herself as Ray's fiance, Atina, and when she doesn't comply with the commands of law enforcement, tension only grows. They put her at gunpoint, and she just looked extremely confused and frightened. Investigators soon realize Atina's lack of cooperation is due to a language barrier. She understood some very basic words, but not concepts at all. They wanted to know if anybody else was in there. And since she wasn't responding, they handcuffed her. They took her upstairs to wake up her daughter. And then they took the cuffs off and took them outside where the police were and where Mary was, out where Ray's body had been. With all the scrapyard's residents now in custody, police search for anyone who's not supposed to be there. But whoever fired at Ray Jacoby seems to have vanished, leaving little in the way of evidence behind. They did locate, I believe it was two bullet holes in the fence that they believe could have been in the same trajectory um, of where Ray's body would have been standing when he was shot. And inside one of those holes, they were able to locate a projectile. A thorough search of the main building only adds to the mystery. The office was open, and there was just cash in the drawers of the office that they used to pay people when they brought in their scrap. There were guns that weren't taken that were sitting there that would have maybe had some value. It just didn't look like a robbery. Obviously, the police confiscated every gun that they could find. All of the guns that they did locate were inside either the office or the living quarters. Those guns and those weapons belonged to Ray Jacoby. As investigators continue processing the scene, there's bad news from the hospital. They had pronounced him dead at the hospital, but, you know, he was probably dead before he left the scene. Police deliver the news to raise loved ones. The chief of police walked over to the truck where Mary was standing, and he said, uh, well, Mary, 
Raymond didn't make it. Mary looked at him, and she just kind of fell to the ground. Mary started crying and hyperventilating and got very emotional. We called EMS in. They came in to check Mary out. They cleared her. Atina, on the other hand, did not have much of a reaction. She just looked at the ground and just could not figure out what had world had happened. Investigators hope more focused interviews in a new environment with the three women who live at the scrapyard will yield some leads. I transported Atina and her daughter and Kayla to the uh, Mahia Police Department to interview them. Mary drove in her own vehicle, and it was there that other investigators, Hunley and uh, the Ranger, began to interview them. We know that he was alive at 6.55 when he was talking to Mary from the phone, and we know at 7.06 he's been shot because of the 911 call. So what we had to figure out was what happened in that 11 minutes. The natural inclination when you have a murder is to get whoever did it locked up as fast as possible. Coming up, a potential suspect comes into focus. We noticed that this number had been calling her just about every day. He probably had some knowledge of a plan to kill Raymond. You know I mean, could you have been jealous? March 31st, 2011. In the hours following the murder of Ray Jacoby at the gate of his own scrapyard, detectives in Mahia, Texas, prepare to speak to three women found at the scene of the crime. Kayla was a girlfriend of Mary's son, and she stayed in her travel trailer on the property. She did not hear any loud noises. She didn't hear any, she didn't hear anything until she was woke up by the police. In her interview, Kayla was very uh, evasive in her answers. She didn't really have an alibi because she was the only person inside of the trailer that she was asleep. And so the answers to her question typically were, I don't know, I don't have any information. Her interview wasn't that long. She just. She didn't respond well to police. Investigators turn their focus to Ray's fiance, Atina, and find a way to break through the language barrier. I remember her telling me, I can understand you if you speak slowly. Atina confirms what Mary told police on the scene about talking to Ray on the phone. Do you remember what Raymond said to Mary on the telephone this morning? I just heard, uh, okay, we're just waiting there. I'm just to finish my breakfast in a minute. That's him. She said he sounded like he was, you know, kind of agitated by it because she was bugging him this early in the morning. After I go breakfast, I clean in the office. When she was doing that, she went into the restroom. She looked out the window, and she saw Mary sitting in her truck. I said to Raymond, Ray, uh, Mary's outside. And he said, OK, I'm just finish my breakfast. Oh, so you told him that, that she yeah. was outside. Yeah. Did you see her in the truck, or did you just see the truck? I've seen in the truck, and I've seen Mary inside. You saw Mary inside the truck? Yeah. 
She saw Ray walk out to the gate. When she saw Ray starting to open the gate, she went back to sweeping and went back towards the back of the house, and she said she heard a boom. We're like, OK, what do you mean by boom? She said, there's a lot of noises and heavy equipment moving around. I didn't think anything of it. I just ignore also because it's every morning it's like that. It's that those always barking. Then after uh, after uh, five minutes or past five minutes, I'm so shocked because have a policeman come inside in the office. Now, Tina is cooperative. She was forthcoming. She was able to communicate to the best of her ability. Though Atina's presence at the scrapyard during the time frame of Ray's murder made her an initial suspect, after speaking with her, investigators can't rationalize a motive. Atina had everything to lose, and it's, it's like, why would she kill this man and face deportation back to the Philippines? That's the last thing that you would want to see happen, you know, and have all your dreams shattered a week before you were to get married. With Atina becoming a less likely suspect, investigators ask her if she noticed any conflict between Ray and his ex-wife, Mary Jacoby. Do you think Mary was mad at Ray? Was she mad at him? Did they argue? I don't know, sir, because Mary is Mary and Raymond talk to, to each other. Do you think that, that uh, Mary shot Raymond this morning? I don't know, sir. I don't With the information from Atina in hand, investigators have their first real chance to question Mary. It says that she saw you first, and then she heard the gunshot second, and that's critical. There ain't, there ain't no way. She's mistaken. There ain't no way. Because if that would have been the case, I would have seen somebody. When I called Ray, I was still in my house. Told him I'd be around a little bit. He said that he was still eating breakfast. I waited, and then I went around. The gate was open a little bit, and when I got up there, he was on the ground. Investigators press harder even questioning whether Mary was upset about Ray and Atina's upcoming wedding. I don't know. I don't know what y'all's personal life is like. I don't know that, one, I mean, could you have been jealous of her? Mary insists she's happy about Atina marrying Ray. She was gonna clean my house and help take care of me after I retired. Why would, why would I blow that? that that's your ace in the hole. I'm doing good. Mary was acting how I've always known her to act, uh, just kind of calm. Wasn't anything out of the normal. Mary also seems to be incredibly cooperative. Mary lets them see her phone. So now Chip is going through her phone, looking at her call log. Here's your dial calls. On March 31st today, I'm going to start with every call. Your first call it shows was to Ray. What time? 6.54 a.m. I said about 10 to. I was three minutes up. As investigators scroll through her call history from the morning of Ray's murder, one contact stands out. Let's see. Who called you? 
call receive calls. The first call of the day, Dennis calls you at 6.01 a.m. Who's Dennis? Trying to buy a piece of property from me. Said he was coming down to see Benji at an appointment. They live in Dallas. He lives in Dallas? Yeah. Why would he call you so early in the morning? Because he knows I get up early and he, before I go to work. I mean, you, could, just you, could, you could have a phone call while you're at work, though, right? I mean, it's not like Well, yeah, but that's just... That's just Dennis. Though the mysterious Dennis is a red flag, Mary seems to have an answer for everything, and investigators run out of questions. We decided to do a gunshot residue on all three of them. I did two of them on uh, Taylor and Atina. The other investigator did the gunshot residue kit on Mary. Mary, what we got to do, since you were there at the scene, we have to swap your hands real quick for GSR. Have you washed your hands at all? Unfortunately, the results could take months to complete. Until then, the women are all free to go. Once we wrapped up all the interviews, um, they left together. With the women gone, investigators dig deeper into Mary's cell phone records and make a suspicious discovery. We noticed this number had been calling her just about every day, 30, like 32, 33 times. We were like, that's odd. It came back to Dennis Kelly. The same man who called Mary about an hour before the murder. Dennis was a former employee of the scrapyard as well. And uh, a couple years prior to the murder, he and Ray had actually gotten to a fistfight. In her interview, Mary had claimed that Dennis was calling from Dallas that morning, nearly 90 miles away. When we tracked his GPS location, we actually found him in Mahia the morning of the murder. And then he was going back to East Texas, where he lived. You have to wonder why he was there, his cell phone pinged there, and then Soon after the crime, he is immediately hours away. Investigators need to talk to Dennis Killey straight away. Unfortunately, it was tough to track Mr. Killey down. I would like to be able to find out the truth. Is it possible that Dennis was involved in the murder? Coming up, had a hitman cashed in a bounty on Ray's head? He just tensed up. And he was like, you know what? We need to end this interview. And he just shut down. He said, you're good to do it. He said, make it look like a robbery. It keeps a lot of money on you. 45-year-old Dennis Killey has just become a prime suspect in Ray Jacoby's murder when phone records place him in the vicinity of the shooting on the morning it happened. Dennis was a former employee of the scrapyard as well. And uh, a couple years prior to the murder, he and Ray had actually gotten to a fistfight at the scrapyard. The dozens of phone calls between him and Mary only add to the suspicion of his possible involvement. He was in question as well. And, and uh, unfortunately, it was tough to track Mr. Killey down. While officers attempt to track down Dennis, 
Detectives are desperate for more details on Ray's scrapyard business. They speak to some of Ray's employees, who paint a much different picture of Mary and Ray's relationship than Mary had led police to believe. She said her and Ray got along, even though they were divorced, but she minimized her dislike for Ray, according to other people that were always around her. In one particular incident, an employee described intervening in a fight that was escalating between Ray and Mary, and Mary turning to that employee and saying, I wish Ray was dead. Another employee describes driving Ray to the airport about 10 days before the murder. When he came back from the airport, he went in the office, and he heard Mary say if that plane would crash, it would take care of their problem. On April 15, 2011, two weeks after Ray's murder, a friend of Ray and Mary's comes forward to get something off his chest. We had been looking for Dennis Kelly, and we hadn't been getting any leads. We're sitting at the office one day, and in walks Robin, Robin Dabney, and his wife, Kim Dabney. Robin sat down at the desk, and he took a long sigh. What can we do for you, man? What's up? You're going to have to go marry off me, Chuck. $30,000 He said, Mary wanted to give me $30,000 to kill Ray. And we're like, do what? I believe it was in October of 2009 when Ray had gone to see Atina the second time. Kim and Robin Dabney were having dinner with Mary in her fifth wheel in the scrapyard. And at the end of dinner, she asked Robin if he would kill Ray for her. He said, you can do it. He said, make it look like a robbery. He keeps a lot of money on you. She said she would find the body and that she would take care of them for the rest of their lives, basically. She had made several comments. If you don't do it, somebody else will. He said that Mary actually took $15,000 and put it on the table and said, I'll give you half now and half when it's over. And Robin declined. He said, I'm not getting involved in that. And Kim backed the story up. Ultimately, the DA asked us to have them both polygraphed. And they both said they would. And they both passed with flying colors. We knew that Mary wanted Ray gone at that point. Robin's statement is a huge piece of the puzzle for detectives. But it's not enough for an arrest. They needed to have a solid case to bring to the prosecution to present at trial. It was all circumstantial at this point. They didn't want to leave any stone unturned. On July 6th, four months after Ray Jacoby's murder, investigators finally tracked down Dennis Kelly. We got to working with the authorities up in Henderson County, and then we later learned that he was recently arrested on an unrelated charge and was currently in jail. Rancher Cantu and I went over to interview him. At first, Dennis seems forthcoming. He swears he had nothing to do with the murder and explains that the altercation between him and Ray all those years ago was just a misunderstanding. Ray thought Dennis had taken a tire or something from the scrapyard, and, you know, Dennis said he didn't. One or both of them were charged in that just kind of disorderly conduct type deal. When we begin to question him about past history with law enforcement, that I guess he just tensed up 
And he was like, you know what? We need to end this interview. I felt like he thought that we were probing into some other area, and he just shut down. With Dennis refusing to talk, detectives are still looking for more evidence to bring charges in the case. Finally, in September, the gunshot residue test results come in. I've been giving the GSR the three elements that they're looking for are antimony, barium, and lead. And it needs to be in a high enough concentration on the same general location on your skin for them to be able to say that this is consistent with being gunshot residue. Athena and Kayla had one element on their hands, which is an element that is typical just from probably working in the environment that they were working in. Mary came back with all three elements. And I was like, oh boy, this ain't good for her. Detectives feel an arrest warrant is almost within reach, but they hope for one more piece of evidence to push them over the edge. From conversations that we had with the county attorney, it was more like, we're almost there, but you had the feeling like it was something missing. So it was, it got to a point where it's like, okay, well, let's let her get in her own comfort zone. Since it's taking so long to make an arrest, maybe she will slip up and give us that key piece of evidence that we were looking for. The case drags on for months, then years, as authorities conduct hundreds of interviews. There were so many rabbit trails we had to go down in this investigation. It's probably why it lasted five years. It just always came back to Mary. We didn't want to just jump to that conclusion and immediately accuse the ex-wife. And of course, we just kept looking for the weapon. That would have been very nice to have. While investigators spend years chasing leads, Mary takes over the scrapyard. After Ray dies, Mary's walking around the scrapyard like she owns the place. Uh, to many people on the outside, it appeared that she had taken over the business entirely. Atina was scared. She was afraid of Mary. And then Mary was going over to the yard in and out there while Atina and Charmaine were trying to be, you know, trying to get through this rough situation that had just occurred. Ron, Ray's son, hears word of this, comes in, takes over the yard, and before you know it, Mary doesn't have a job. Mary's son, Chapin, is released from prison in 2016. And with no job left for Mary in Mejia, the two move 300 miles away to George West, Texas, both hoping for a fresh start. Back in Mejia, Ray's loved ones wonder if justice will ever be served. You gotta be persistent, you know, and if you don't go, you know, make the wheel squeak, no one's gonna do anything. Ron and his mom, they were continuously calling us and, and you know, when are you gonna arrest Mary? When are you gonna arrest Mary? Coming up. A new witness statement reinvigorates the case. We didn't have to prove she's the one that pulled the trigger. She's just the one that got him to the dance. Finally, we were getting what we had waited for.
Five years after Ray Jacoby's murder, all suspects other than his ex-wife, Mary, have been eliminated. Of course, it's hard to hold on to a secret like that. You know, we all thought at some point Mary might brag about it or admit it to somebody or somebody would come forward that she had talked to about it. But when no new information comes to light, prosecutors decide to take their chances with what they have. So the DA is going to take a gamble here because there is a lot of circumstantial evidence, but that gamble pays off with the grand jury. They come back with an indictment. Mary Jacoby is arrested on April 22nd of 2016. She had no facial expression. I really expected her response was going to be different, but when she just kind of smirked, it just showed you how cold she was. It was most certainly joy and, and some satisfaction, you know, and feeling like finally we were, you know, getting what we had waited for. As prosecutors prepare for trial, they revisit an initial person of interest in the case, Dennis Killey, who has recently been released from jail. I would say approximately six months before the trial, we were able to arrange a meeting with Dennis Killey. And our goal of that meeting was just basically to listen. And it was at that time that he informed us that Mary had, at some point prior to the murder, actually asked him if he would kill Ray. The offer described by Dennis matches up with Robin Dabney's previous statement. That was one of the most damning statements about Mary, which was that she had asked him before to kill Raymond for $30,000. At trial in October of 2017, the prosecution paints the story of a woman driven by jealousy and greed. With Atina and Charmaine coming in and, and helping Ray run the salvage yard, I think there's several factors coming together kind of all at once that led to this March 31st date. Mary wanted life to continue to be business as, as usual once Raymond was out of the picture. Shapin would come home from incarceration. He would run the yard, and she would continue to run the office there at the recycling center. When Atina had come to live with Ray in March of 2011, she's really starting to see the writing on the wall as to kind of what's happening. Now she's being pushed out of the picture, or so she thinks. Her life was going to change on April 4th, and that was a big threat to what her plans were. I think she shopped around with Killy and Robin Dabney to find somebody to do her dirty work, and she never could find somebody to do it, so she ultimately did it herself. I think she had a bit of a broken heart, and I and that's part of the reason why I think she did it, is she shot him in the chest. I think she was trying to hurt his heart. Between Mary's shifting timeline, Atina's testimony about seeing Mary at the gate, and the positive gun residue test, the prosecution lays out a compelling case though questions of a potential accomplice remain unanswered. Is it possible that Dennis was involved in the murder? It is. Um, did he fire the, the shot? I, I believe that the evidence supports that Mary was the one that she either fired a weapon or handled the weapon. Now, Dennis could have got rid of the weapon. Who knows? 
We didn't have to prove she's the one that pulled the trigger. She's just the one that got him to the dance. And, you know, that clearly she had done that with the phone calls and changing the schedule. And she's the one with the motive and all the other statements and had tried to get somebody to do it before. After just two hours of deliberation, the jury finds Mary guilty. She is sentenced to life behind bars. I don't know how someone in her shoes can't stop and think about the children. You know, who's thinking about my, my, my son and my daughter that will never meet their grandfather? It was hard to understand how a 56-year-old woman who had benefited so much from this man's generosity and giving her a job even after they were divorced. It was hard to get our head wrapped around the fact that she was mean enough to kill him. is a small town, and everybody knows everybody. But when this case came up, it makes you wonder, do you really know everybody? It breaks my heart, because I know how much he gave. You could always count on him. He'd always be there to help you. The world misses a hard worker and a man that would always love and give as best he could. Mary Jacoby is serving a life sentence at a women's prison in Central Texas. Atina is now married with a second child. Dennis Kelly was never charged in connection to Ray's murder. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.